Welcome to the Right Take Podcast, news, ideas, and conversations at the intersection of politics and culture, a project of the David Horowitz Freedom Center. I will be your host, Mark Tapson. Welcome back to the Right Take Podcast. I am your host, Mark Tapson. Thanks once again for joining me here at the intersection of politics and culture. Recently, I happened to stumble across a couple of articles about the new atheists. The new atheists, if you don't know, were and are a handful of prominent atheist intellectuals who sort of led a resurgence of militant atheism, a resurgence that seems to be on the wane, actually. There were four figures in particular who were known as the four horsemen of the new atheists, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, the late Christopher Hitchens, and Daniel Dennett. One of the characteristics of the new atheists was a certain arrogance and aggression in terms of debating their opponents about the existence or non-existence of God. They even referred to themselves as brights, suggesting that they were much brainier than believers, than people of faith, whom they treated as dullards. Hitchens, as I mentioned, has passed away, and the remainder of the four horsemen of the new atheists seem to have faded from the limelight. Dawkins and Harris and the rest have been discredited, I would say, or lost favor to some extent as public intellectuals. Indeed, Ayan Hirsi Ali, the Somali woman and notable atheist who famously denounced the Islam of her youth and who was sometimes called the first horsewoman of the new atheists, recently converted to Christianity. And at the same time, even though Christianity is in decline throughout the West and the youngest generation is the least religious since such figures have been counted, There are many young people today who are searching for more meaning and enchantment and divinity and numinosity in the universe than the empty void of random, pointless existence, which is all that atheists have to offer. So the whole issue, does God exist, is still a vital one that commands and demands our full attention as a civilization. I bring this up because a new book's just been published, by a friend of mine, in fact, that addresses this critical question And, spoiler alert, it comes down firmly in the camp of, yes, God does exist. And the atheists are not the brights among us, but in fact are intellectual frauds. And as fate or intelligent design would have it, I have the author coming up next to talk about the book and give us a little insight into how and why to shoot down the arguments that arrogant atheists put forth. So stay tuned and don't miss this conversation. And please take a moment to subscribe to The Right Take if you haven't already, so you can keep up with the conversations we're having here with important thinkers, writers, pundits, and storytellers. And if you like what you hear, a positive review would be really appreciated. Thank you, and don't touch that dial. My guest today at The Right Take is, full disclosure... A friend of mine, I'm honored to say, Evan Sayet, who has had a wildly varied career as a stand-up comedian, a longtime writer for Bill Maher's Politically Incorrect, a speech writer for President Trump, the best-selling author of political commentaries, which I highly recommend, by the way, like The Kindergarten of Eden and The Woke Supremacy. He gave a lecture once to the Heritage Foundation on how the modern liberal thinks, and nearly 20 years later, that remains the most viewed lecture in Heritage Foundation history. Evans had a, has got a brand new book called, and get ready for this, Magic Soup, Typing Monkeys, and Horny Aliens from Outer Space, the patently absurd, wholly unsubstantiated, and extravagantly failed atheist origin myth. And we're going to dive into that 
book today. Evan, welcome to the Right Take Podcast. Thanks, Mark. Always good to be with you. Likewise. Evan, I don't know how you get all that on a business card. Uh, when someone asks you what you do, what do you tell them? I, I tell them that I am in the conservative thought industry. So sometimes I sell my thoughts via my stand-up act. Sometimes I sell my thoughts via articles for Town Hall and others. Sometimes I do so uh, in, in books. Uh, sometimes I do it by putting words in other people's mouths and writing speeches or advising presidential campaigns like I did in uh, 2016. And, and so I just say I'm in the conservative thought industry. I may steal that sometimes for myself. In your new book, you uh, set out to debunk atheism and the so-called new atheists uh, like Richard Dawkins and the late Christopher Hitchens. But let's talk about how you arrived at your own faith, because up until fairly late in your life, you would have considered yourself an atheist, right? What led you out of that mindset? Indeed. And, and it's the same mindset that, that led me to vote Democrat for most of my uh, young adult life. And, and that is that it was basically just the default factory setting for somebody born into my demographic. You know, I'm a New York City born uh, lowercase l liberal Jew in the entertainment industry. And so one one of the things that's simply a given is, is that there is no God. Uh, and, and so it was not just like my my voting for the political left in my youth. Uh, it's not something that I thought about deeply and, and, and weighed. It was just something that was sort of a given. And now let's move on to other things like uh, how the Jets do last night. <laughs> well, as you yourself have noted, there are other books that have attempted to make the case for God's existence. What did you see in those that was deficient uh, that you wanted to bring to your own? Well, for, for one thing, they were very uh, legalese. They, they sought to, to litigate the case when in reality there's no case against God's existence. Atheism is not a, a scientific belief. In fact, as, as I put on the back of the book, uh, atheism is neither scientific nor is it a belief. And one thing that I began to notice as I, A, awakened to what the, the dangers of the political left and began to think about that ideology and what causes them to invariably side with evil over good, wrong over right, ugly over beautiful, profane over profound, was that the political left, and you have to include the, you know, just like we talked about the religious right, we have to recognize the irreligious left. And, and so you can't really separate the politics of wokeism, the Democrat Party, and militant atheism. And what I noticed is that they don't ever seem to argue for what it is they believe in the affirmative. They can tell you why they're against what you believe. It's because you're a racist, you're a homophobe, you're a xenophobe, you're a transphobe. You're a... They can tell you everything that's wrong with you. But even if you were to cop to all those things, okay, I... I, I I give them all those, I am all those terrible things. Now, tell me what is it that you believe in God's stead? And, or, and by the way, this goes back earlier to what is it you believe once you have defunded the police? What is it you believe? Once you've opened the borders, how is it you intend to govern? Just, I recognize that the political left doesn't ever seem to argue in the affirmative for what it is they believe. And that is true. I, I recognized about the big questions of the universe. 
They don't have any argument for how it is the universe came into being. They don't have any argument for what it is they believe about how the cosmos fine-tuned themselves. They don't argue in any way to how life first began on Earth. And, and so I began to investigate what the latest scientific theories are about these big questions. And the reality is that the, mili- the, the atheists in general, but the militant atheists in particular, do not have an affirmative argument for anything other than the existence of God. It's just, no matter what, Mark, our existence is extra scientific. How it is that, that we came to be, how the universe came, in, is, came into existence, and how it is human life came to be, is beyond the laws and constants of our physical sciences. What the left has been able to do is point out that if you believe in God, you believe in something that's extra scientific. Therefore, they are the science only by default. But the reality is there are only two possibilities, and both of them are extra scientific. So now the question becomes, which of these two is more supported by the known science? And not only does every known law of every known science and every observation, discovery, and experiment, you know, what real scientists call data, not only does everything support intelligent design, everything rebuts and debunks any possible alternative. Yeah, atheists always like to condescend to believers by saying, I believe in science. But what, what do they really mean when they say they believe in science? Well, twofold. When, when, when you see those, when you see the layman, not the actual uh, intentionally uh, dishonest militant atheists, uh, but those who really just have never given God any thought, when they have that sign in front of their house that says uh, all the things that, that they believe in that household, uh, and one of them is we believe in science, all they mean is that they believe in Darwin's theory about evolution. And they don't know anything at all about Darwin's theory about evolution. See, one of the big lies, you'll, you'll notice that evolution is the be-all and end-all of atheistic argument. It is the one and only theory they have about anything at all. And there's no one who actually believes this, but what they've sold to their victims is the idea that that uh, that that Darwin came up with the theory of evolution, when in reality he did not. He no more came up with the theory of evolution than Newton came up with the theory of gravity. Gravity is the what is. Newton came up with a theory about how it works. Right. Evolution is the what is. The universe has evolved from the chaos of the Big Bang through uh, the fine-tuning of the cosmos, through the advent of life on Earth, through the advent of the human being. Of course, evolution is real. Darwin's theory about evolution is, is just simply that. It is not the theory of evolution. It's a theory about evolution. And by the way, Mark, it's not even a good one. No one. First of all, Darwin's theory has no beginning. In order for evolution, as, 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 as Darwin described it, to take place, there already needs to be a pre-existing intelligent life form 
right? It doesn't explain how life began. Life had already started before Darwin starts his theory. Then Darwinism has no ending. What are the means, the mechanisms, the the processes by which uh, the very first life form turned into the human being? Well, it's random mutations and natural selection. Those terms, random and natural, are utterly meaningless. Right? If you and I went to a Penn and Teller show and I, and I said to you, hey, I know how, how they did that last trick. And I said to you, the rabbit randomly appeared and then it just naturally sawed itself in half. You would know that I don't really have a theory about how they did that trick. Well, Darwin didn't even have a, a, a clue about the means, the mechanisms, the processes by which evolution takes place. So there's no actual theory there. Just it's, it, it, it's random and it's natural. Well, random and natural are not scientific processes. Uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the ideas out there to explain the universe apart from God. Let's talk about your title, for example. Can you explain to the listeners what you mean by magic soup? typing monkeys and horny aliens from outer space. Well, the, the magic soup is this primordial ooze that the atheists say there simply must have existed. There's no evidence for its existence. This is just the, this magic soup of, of chemicals and, and compounds that randomly somehow came together to, to, to allow for life to then randomly and naturally emerge. All right, so so the magic soup is this is this wholly invented. There's again no evidence that it existed. This is simply what they say must have existed, if then somehow life might have begun. The typing monkeys is atheists don't really try to make their scientific case. They don't try to prove that something happened. Their entire case, whether it's how the universe came into existence, how the cosmos. Uh, organize themselves, how life went from, from that first life form to, to the human being, is that it's not impossible with enough time for these things to have perhaps happened. And it's called the infinite monkey theorem. And, and I, I think we've all heard the infinite monkey theorem stated something like this. If you put enough monkeys in enough rooms with enough typewriters for enough time, eventually they will type the, the, the collective works of William Shakespeare. I mean, anything is possible with enough time. And therefore, it's not impossible that everything came from nothing, because with enough time, anything's possible. It's not impossible for, for the cosmos to have structured themselves to perfection. Mark, think about this. I, I think it's the second law of thermodynamics, or says that things unless they are acted upon by an outside force, go from organized to chaotic. Well, the instant after the Big Bang was literally the definition of chaos. It went in short time to literally, pretty darn close to literally the definition of precision. It not only went in reverse of the laws and constants of physics, but it did so to, to the nth degree. If one part in, in 10 million trillion 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 had been slightly different, 
the universe wouldn't exist. If the gravitational forces, for example, were one part in 10,000 trillion, trillion, trillion different, if it was a little bit stronger, the universe would collapse upon itself. The gravitational pull would be such that, that, that the universe collapses back into the singularity. If it were one part in 10,000 trillion, trillion, trillion weaker, the Big Bang would have continued and, and, and the universe would have ripped itself apart as it expanded. So not only do the atheists argue that, well, it's not impossible because with enough time, every known law of science can be violated. But by making that claim, and that is the only claim the atheists have about anything, because their theory is luck. Okay, that's the, that they, it, it, it's either designed intentionally or it came about by luck. Well, if it's luck, then what are the odds? And the odds of even one small part of even just one of the atheists' latest theories is, is, is so, are so long that it's literally the same as the chances of monkeys in a room typing uh, the works of William Shakespeare. Yeah, when I think about atheists proudly rejecting a belief in God, I'm reminded of G.K. Chesterton's remark that when men choose not to believe in God, they do not believe in nothing. They become capable of believing in anything. In, indeed, and, and we see this. We see this not only with their uh, embrace of, you know, I, I don't know if I, if I told you where the patently absurd, wholly unsubstantiated and extravagantly failed comes from in the title, but that's a quotation from a, a gentleman named Richard Lewontin, uh, who is one of the leading and one of the most uh, famous militant atheists of modern times uh, and a Harvard evolutionary biologist. And he said, and Mark, what's, what's telling is that this was for attribution. This isn't even something that the militants hide. Right? He, he said, and I'm going to have to paraphrase or, or say I'm paraphrasing uh, just for the sake of, 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 of clarity. But he said, and I start my book with this quotation, we, meaning uh, the atheists, we take the side of science despite its patently absurd constructs, wholly unsubstantiated theories, and extravagantly failed promises because we have a prior commitment. We have a prior commitment to materialism. Now, materialism is just the euphemism that militant atheists use when they mean to say atheism. And so here's a man for public attribution. It was in the New York Times Review of Books, and he wrote that they are peddling lies, peddling the patent absurdity of atheism, the unsubstantiated theories of atheism, knowingly because they have a prior political commitment to materialism, to atheism. Well, scientists don't have a prior commitment to anything other than to the truth. And so these militant atheists like Richard Dawkins and, and like Sam Harris and like Steven Pinker, because they have a prior commitment to their political cause of militant atheism, they are knowingly subserviating the truth to service their political agenda. Yeah, uh, former Congressman Thaddeus McCotter reviewed your book for Chronicles magazine, and he said that you understand something fundamental about the postmodern debate over God's existence, and that is for the left... This is not a scientific inquiry. It's a political crusade. You think uh, McCotter was right about that? Oh, in, in, indeed and absolutely. Look, atheism as a personal belief 
has likely been around for for as long as as humanity has. But militant atheism, and that is the aggressive evangelizing, sermonizing, and propagandizing in order to enforce non-belief on a societal level. That's fairly new in the modern world, right? It only really first got uh, received intellectual credence when Marx wrote the Communist Manifesto, right? And communism is not militant atheism. Militant atheism is required in order to, to sustain communism. Militant atheism is a weapon used by would-be revolutionaries, to clear the moral path for their rise to power. And and so you will find militant atheism, you know, as I say, it first got received credence with Marx's Communist Manifesto, which is 150 years ago. Well, it only first received weaponry, governance, the ability to enforce this 100 years ago with the Russian Revolution. And in the 100 years since militant atheism has, has 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 been on the scene, it's provided us with Leninism, Stalinism, Hitlerism, Maoism, and now wokeism. And what's interesting, I, I believe and I hope, is that all of these militant atheist movements, all of them that use the destruction of God and the promise that they are gods, that if people will just believe in them as omnipotent and omniscient and all-knowing and all-loving and all-caring and infallible, they will create a brand new type of never-before-seen human being who will then usher in paradise. And so the communists, the Leninists, the Stalinists, the Maoists all promised that if you trusted the government as God— they would manufacture a human being who was wholly devoid of selfishness. They were going to create a worker's paradise by engineering a new kind of human being who, who would toil endlessly in exchange for nothing but his most basic needs because he had selfishness engineered out of him. The Nazis promised to engineer the, the ubermensch, the, 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 the overperson, the... the, the uh, the, the perfect human being who was stoic, who was efficient because he put aside uh, human frailties like empathy and compassion. And in fact, Hitler used Darwin's theory of the survival of the fittest as a justification for creating this perfect human being who would then deliver the, the, the paradise, the utopia. Well, the woke make this promise. If you reject God, and entrust them to to be God, they're going to engineer the human being who is wholly without hatred. They are going to engineer hatred out of, of, of human nature. And quite frankly, they've done an outstanding job. They have, using the schools and using the, uh, the, the mantle of the science, uh, they have convinced their young victims that, that there is nothing to hate. Now, the problem is twofold. One, love and hate is a single concept. You cannot have one without the other. It's like up and down or in and out. You can't love good unless you hate evil. You, you can't love truth unless you hate lies. You can't love justice unless you hate injustice. Well, 
they've succeeded in raising successive generations that are wholly without hate. They are also wholly without love. They are simply love and hate being a single concept. The opposite is the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. And they are indifferent to both what is good, right, beautiful, and true, and to what is evil, failed, and wrong. And, and so they are indifferent to, to the rape, torture, and massacres that Hamas commits. They are indifferent to the suffering of their own children when they mutilate the genitalia and feed them puberty-blocking drugs. They are indifferent. You know, they, they sell it as compassion. But they don't have compassion for the, for the illegal immigrants. They don't know them. So how can they love them? In, instead, it is indifference towards the victims of the murderers and the rapists and the terrorists and the gangsters who their policies allow into the country wholly unchecked, right alongside those who might truly be in need. They literally do not differentiate between good and evil, right and wrong, better and worse, because those, as it turns out, are functions of believing in God. Yeah, I always point out that uh, one of the, and maybe the main difference between conservatives and the left is that conservatives recognize that we are fallen sinful beings. And uh, the left has, by contrast, this utopian worldview that we can somehow socially engineer a perfect society and perfect humanity. And of course, any attempt to socially engineer uh, these kinds of things leads very quickly to coercion and totalitarianism. So they always lead, their utopian dreams always lead to dystopian nightmares. Uh, let me ask you about one of the interesting quotes in the book. You say, atheism needs not to be just disproved, but ridiculed for the patent absurdity that it is. Why do you think uh, it needs to be ridiculed? Well, for the, for the very same reason that you don't litigate the emperor's clothes. You don't, uh, you, you don't need to argue about thread counts and, and uh, the hem and, and, and whatnot. Atheism is naked. There is nothing there, which is why, again, they must always argue against your beliefs, but they can never argue affirmatively for what it is they believe. And in fact, and, and I think this is one of the most important points that I make in, in, the, in the new book, every single theory that the atheists have about the uh, origin of the universe uh, and what, what are basically called the big questions of origin and design they are arrived at not because there's anything that supports them, but only because every other theory is so bad that they have no choice but to say, well, there must be something else. For example, the latest theories, the most widely embraced theories now about the origin of the universe are, are, are either uh, the multiverse, which is that there are an infinite number of other universes, too. And the laws of our science don't apply there. Well, there's no actual evidence of this multiverse. It is something they simply made up because after having exhausted, fully exhausted their search for any possible explanation in this universe, using these materials, using our laws of physics, they have so exhausted their search for any possible alternative to God that they simply had to make up other universes. The same thing, <clears throat> excuse me, same thing with string theory. 
Right? String theory argues that there are dimensions beyond the mere four, height, width, depth, and time, in which we humans can't perceive. Now, they didn't invent, they didn't make up string theory because there's any evidence for it. It's that the evidence against anything in our perceivable universe being able to explain the advent of, of, of our world has been so fully exhausted that they simply must invent other dimensions. The, all of the secrets that they promise that science, the science, will reveal have, have been left so patently absurd, so wholly unsubstantiated, so, so extravagantly failed in their every test that they simply said, well, there must be other dimensions then. So get this, Mark. The atheist's latest theories, their only remaining theories about the advent of the universe, is exactly what the Bible postulated 3,000 years ago. Universes outside of our own, where the laws of our physics don't apply, and or dimensions beyond those in which we humans can perceive. So the very thing that the atheist used to disqualify God as not scientific is now the atheist scientist's only remaining theories. Yeah, when you talk about ridicule, I uh, am reminded of the late leftist strategist Saul Alinsky, who wrote that uh, ridicule is man's most potent weapon. It's hard to counteract, and it infuriates the opposition, which then reacts to your advantage. And I think atheists like to think that they're arguing from this rational, dispassionate perspective, but it's precisely because they had this superior view of themselves that ridicule can take them down a notch and frustrate and infuriate them and expose their their falsehoods. Uh, since the release of your book, are you aware if any atheists have taken umbrage at your argument or what their reaction has been so far? I'd love to see atheist Bill Maher, for example, whom you once wrote for, I'd love to see him have you on his podcast to talk about this book. You know, he's he's come a long way, my old boss, Mr. Marr, uh, because he recognizes how patently absurd and, and failed is leftist ideology. You know, he's still a, a lowercase l liberal, as he always was, but he recognizes that the people who are now called liberals uh, are, are, in fact, the very antithesis of liberal, and that's starting to sink in. You know, I... I saw Jordan Peterson on his show and also on his podcast uh, several times. And you can, you can see Mar just sitting there going, wow, because the left doesn't uh, address what it is we actually believe. They address the straw man of what it is that they think we believe. And, and so one, they can't, they can't argue because there's nothing in the affirmative for them to argue for. And when they attempt to argue against, they're arguing against what it is that we don't believe. And, and so in the end, when you do ridicule them, or even when you just uh, pose the question to them, mostly, you, you get hysteria. There, there is only hysteria and hate on the political left, because when you don't believe in anything, there's nothing for you to affirm. There is no science of how the universe came into being that the atheists can affirm. They can't affirm the multiverse. They can't affirm uh, 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 string theory. They can't affirm how life began on Earth under their theory. So there's nothing for them to affirm. All they can do is attack. And when you just laugh in their faces because their attacks are hysterical. I mean, we, we all got 
a, a great deal of enjoyment watching the hysteria of the political left on election night 2016 or, or in any of the TikTok videos where you see somebody like Charlie Kirk uh, or, or Stephen Crowder sitting on a college campus and, and the leftists who approach them who, who literally are out of their minds. Just real quickly before I uh, forget, because I want to make this point for, for the readers, for the listeners and readers of your book, I think by comparison uh, to other books that try to assert the existence of God, I think yours feels more accessible uh, than others of the topic that I've read, like Eric Metaxas' book, uh, Is Atheism Dead? And I think part of that accessibility comes from the sense of humor that runs through your book. Uh, which is obvious in the title, for example. And, and then you have chapter titles like, well, I'll be a monkey's non-gender specific relative or let's get metaphysical. Uh, so I think that sense of humor, uh, which is just part of your conservative thought, as you put it earlier, uh, that makes the book a lot more accessible. Who is the target audience for this book? Yeah, and, and there's there's... The accessibility is absolutely intentional. You know, when, when you're taking on a topic that has been written about and discussed literally for thousands of years, and, and if you go to Amazon, you can find literally thousands of other books making The Case for a Creator or, or Eric Metaxas's book, uh, etc. And you don't take on a topic unless you think you have a different way of presenting it. And... My target audience, I, I'm looking for churches, I'm looking for believers, I'm looking for people with a congregation and, and a following to spread the word because I want believers to ask their non-believing children to read this one book. Do me, do me a favor, sweetheart. I know we fight about this, but read this one book. And so I, I wrote it in a language that was a little laxer, a little more, uh, it, it's not absolutely pristine in its language. Um, and, and I wrote it for, there are so many people who are like I was, who it's not that they're atheists. They don't rise to the level of atheism. All right. As, as, um, as the Yale University computer science, I can't believe I'm going to space on his name because he literally married the girl next door to me. Um, but as he said, they don't, they don't rise to the level of atheism. They've never given God's existence any thought. And the reason they've not given God's existence any thought is because they've been told repeatedly by those who claim to be the science that God is not scientific. And so with this book, I, I want them to understand neither is atheism scientific. There are two extra scientific possibilities. One of them is upheld by all known science. Evan, let's shift gears a little bit um, and talk about the political scene. I, I like to refer to this podcast and the writing that I do as the intersection of politics and culture. And I know you have some thoughts on that intersection because you wrote a book called The Woke Supremacy about wokeness. So you understand how the left uses culture to advance their agenda. What do you see out there today as the most concerning cultural issue that you think is facing Americans? Well, it, it's the total rejection of rational thought. They have been told, they've been convinced, the, the, the woke and, and even those who aren't fully amongst the woke, they know they're being lied to, but 
what access do they have to any alternative arguments? Where, where do they, you know, what movie do they go to see? What TV show do they watch? What, what book do they, what professor do they listen to that offers them an alternative point of view? And, and this goes, Mark, this goes all the way back to that very first speech to the Heritage Foundation uh, and, and my first book, The Kindergarten of Eden, How the Modern Liberal Thinks. And that is they've been raised to believe that indiscriminateness, not discriminating, not using your intellect to, to, to seek out the better things. They've been raised to believe that indiscriminateness is a moral imperative because its opposite is discrimination. Thinking has become an act of evil. Thinking that something is good, something is right, something is better, that there's some cultures are better than others, some religions are better than others, some works of art or literature are better than others. To believe that anything is better than anything else has been turned into a hate crime. And thus, it, it's, it's, not that the, it's not that the woke disagree with us, They've never even given us or, or anything, even a moment's thought. Mark, there is absolutely nothing that the modern liberal believes that they've given even a moment's thought to, because thinking is the crime. Thinking is an act of bigotry. Yeah, I, I frequently ask my guests if they are optimistic. Well, let's say hopeful. I ask my guests if they're, they're hopeful or pessimistic that conservatives can reclaim the culture from the the leftist hegemony and start making America great again. How do you feel about that? Are you hopeful or pessimistic? Oh, I'm 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 both. And uh, you know, I once asked uh, uh, your, your boss, you know, David Horowitz, how do you do it? Uh, how, how do you get up every morning knowing what you know, seeing what you see, believe you know, being bombarded by what you're bombarded by? How, how do you get out of bed in the morning? And he said to me, Evan. I always remind myself that the future has never been what I thought it was going to be. And so I try very hard to stay out of the future. You know, things, wars, the, the tide turns. There are, there are things that you can't predict that, that just change the course of everything. I mean, I think back to when the, the, the political left tried to steal the 20, uh, uh, oh boy, the, uh, the, the, the George W. Bush election by, by using falsified documents. And who would have known that just then this technology called the Internet had come along and it was just sophisticated enough that the layman was able to prove that it was a forged document? Or who knew somewhere along the way some guy on some obscure cable network would say the words Tea Party? And that would start a movement that, that changed the course of America. And, and so... I think that we are losing this culture war, but I, I know that there are tides turn. And I think one very good thing is that so many of the young recognize that they're being victimized by the militant atheists. They, 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 are, they are lonely. They are suicidal. They are uh, homicidal. I mean, the, these, these random uh, multiple murders that are taking place. They are literally hopeless because atheism is hopelessness. And, and so you have their leaders telling them that nothing is good. 
Nothing is right. So they have no beauty in their lives. They have no purpose. They have no direction. And they are desperate for it, which is why I wrote this book and why I want believers to give this book to those children. And by the way, children is anyone from 20 to, to, to 50 or 60 these days. Those who reject God, not, not disbelieve in God. That's great. What is next for you, Evan? Do you have any plans for another book yet or still uh, immersed in this one? Oh, my. I mean, my, my hope is that this becomes an international phenomenon. And I spend the next couple of years giving speeches and, and, and attending events. Uh, and when that's done, I don't know, because this seems to be the culmination of an unintended, but nonetheless very real trilogy. I mean, the kindergarten of Eden introduced the mindset of the modern liberal. Uh, the woke supremacy spoke about their 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 having metastasized, and 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 this I think explains why it is that they are on the side of evil, because without without good, you know, they have nothing to champion. You know, one of the lines I use in the book is that the 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 victims of the militant atheists live in existence that 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 is only between hatred for everybody else everybody's ever lived they were all homophobes and xenophobes and and so they 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 exist between hatred and indifference and they don't have to live like that and that's what what this book is about so what comes next um my one man show about bruce springsteen oh, okay <laughs> what is the best way for people to keep up with what you're doing Oh, gee whiz. There's, there's Evan Sayet, E-V-A-N-S as in Sam, A-Y-E-T dot com. Uh, my books are available on Amazon dot com. And the name of the book is, 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 you know, long and whatnot. So if you don't remember it, just go to the name Sayet. It's the easiest name in the world, S-A-Y-E-T. And you can find everything Evan Sayet, including that original speech. But of course, this new book, which I want everyone to buy and then share. Evan, say it. Thanks for making the time to come on the right take. Keep fighting the good fight, brother. Well, back at you. <laughs> People go to Amazon and pick up a copy of Evan Say It's enlightening and entertaining new book. The title is Magic Soup, Typing Monkeys, and Horny Aliens from Outer Space. And listeners, thank you for joining us here at the intersection of politics and culture. Don't forget to subscribe to The Right Take so you can keep up with all the important conversations we're having here. And if you like what you hear, please leave that positive review. It really helps. All right, be seeing you. The Right Take with Mark Tapson is a project of the David Horowitz Freedom Center and Front Page Magazine. Unauthorized reproduction of this podcast without express written consent is prohibited. <laughs>